For January 8th, 2024, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 810. Sincerity is my bit. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are hanging out together and uh, talking over the things in the culture that we love. Uh, I'm Matt Rather. That's Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete, how are you doing? You know, Matt, I'm about to go off for two hours and 45 minutes about everybody that you've ever met. This is Club Shay Shay, right? And uh, and I'm Cat Williams. That's what's going to be happening <laughs> absolutely. today. Yes, absolutely. All I right. want to know. I, w- I want to know about all the podcasters that you, whose success you really <laughs> resent because <laughs> you feel like you feel like they they've like sold out and done taking the easy money. You Me know and that? Nate Silver went to the Illuminati <laughs> and they gave Nate Silver because he would cut his hair and I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I like I like I for me it would be like, you know, I I, I want another, you know, bald white guy podcast hut. like me and Guy Branham on yeah. Pop Rocket <laughs> on Maximum Fun, you know. That guy just does the easy material, right? He's not he's not uh doing that. Um yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, good for you. Like, yeah. uh, congratulations. And it's not the topic today. It's, we decided <laughs> no. that we were not going to talk about that as the topic entirely today. So the whole, uh, you know, the whole thing, like the the Golden Globes is is broadcasting tonight. It's broadcasting as we record this, and we realize that like so we're going to vamp until it's over and then talk about it. <laughs> right, exactly. We got <laughs> we only got like seven or eight more hours <laughs> to to go. Um, yeah, we realized that we've we really neglected one uh we've really neglected one aspect of entertainment culture and that is prestige motion pictures for theatrical release. Oh. Right? And we haven't and so tonight we are happy to present an entire show on the uh the British art film Saltburn starring mm. uh starring Barry Keegan uh, and, and Rosamund Pike and the, uh, fantastic Richie Grant. And yeah, just, uh, just a, a deep dive, uh, into the, the intricate symbolism into the, the class satire of this film. You know, with a name like Saltburn, I really thought it was going to be about the insults exchanged after a counter-strike match, but it turned out... <laughs> It was uh, with, with salt. So I thought Salt Burden was actually going to be a documentary about Salt Bay's failed steakhouse, and that uh, how he burns. You know, I all- walked by. I walked by a Salt Bay restaurant the other day, or at least one that still has his name on the outside. I don't know if it still is on the inside. Yeah, I actually don't think they they have failed. I think if anything, they're succeeding beyond anyone's wildest imagination. But mm. they were critically panned when they first opened and so to me that's the same thing as as yeah. failing right because well you know what they not, say like, yeah the salt that burns twice as bright burns half as long <laughs> <laughs> the salt that sprinkles across <laughs> your forearm twice as as voluminously sprinkles over twice the area half the area I, I i don't know i was an english major no uh look uh that's false we're not going to talk about the film salt burn tonight but what i did there is an example of a bit. 
What? It's a bit. Yeah, I I do a bit at the beginning of the at the beginning of the show very often where I Pete refers to it as gaslighting the audience. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not I'm not quite sure it meets the literal definition because it's I'm not I'm not making them doubt their own perception of reality, their (laughs) own experience. What I am doing is lying (laughs) outright, which is a different thing. It's a it's a related but distinct phenomenon in relationships between someone who is gaslighting and someone who is just lying uh and that's um you know so that's uh that's that's what i do i uh i i lie about what we're what we're talking about at the beginning i don't know why i find that funny i'm not sure it's funny anymore but it is uh it is something that that i do i i guess i'd actually call it a uh i'd call it an inside joke at this point or like a recurring a recurring joke or something like that but um but I mean, you bit, want to hear my yeah. theory? Yeah, tell me. Yeah, so here's my theory, and we could then identify the topic of the podcast. My theory about why you do that yeah. is that you don't want to be controlled by the thing that you've decided you're going to be talking about. That's interesting. So it's like you pick the topic, and we go into the podcast, and it's sort of like the podcast does have a feeling – I mean, I'll use the word mastery, right? And not in the sense that we're masters of podcasting, but in the sense of while we're doing this, it's one thing in our lives that I think we both feel like we're reasonably good at and that we can be in control of while we're doing it. And it's almost as if actually identifying the topic and then talking to it is seeding that role, <laughs> like like seeding the ownership of the space. That's how it would feel to me anyway, to our own outline or plan. Which, uh, which we repel against and rebel against and, and identify something totally different. Although maybe, why else might it be funny? That's why. That's why. Bec- that's why we, you know, have steadily declined in popularity <laughs> since <laughs> since 2010. And yeah. uh, everyone else in podcasting is a millionaire. Everyone else yeah. in pie is like uh, is like call her daddy. You know, that's uh, yeah. that's all other podcasts are. It's us and and call her daddy and uh, Alex. What's her name that uh, is doing this? But no, so I'm rebelling against even the the slight constraints we we uh, we place on our ourselves. It's like maybe, uh, maybe, it's like yeah, podcast. There's a lot of things you don't know about me. Podcast things you wouldn't understand, <laughs> things you couldn't understand, things you c- shouldn't understand. You don't want to get up get mixed up with a guy like me i'm a loner podcast a rebel and that uh that i i uh, assume this pose because i don't want to be controlled well yeah i mean i do like to to do a little ritual a little ritual marking of this as a as a slightly anarchic space mm-hmm. you know that that uh i i think that serves a purpose in terms of setting a tone for the kind of you know the kind of creative project we all have together mm-hmm that that but that that that's it but you're 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 locating it deep in in my psychopathology yeah well i'm trying to figure out what the joke is like where's the irony because usually in situations like this if you dig you find some sort of core irony to the joke here's another irony maybe this irony is more uh insightful as to how the occasion of the beginning of the podcast leads to bits and stuff there is no point in my life where I talk to more people in my own voice, and yet there is no time in my life where I am more confident 
that I am I'm talking only to the people that I'm currently talking to. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, like this feels very much because you and I, you know, we have these conversations, you know, every week for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah. And uh, and and I don't have it mirrored back to me in the moment ever that there is an audience to this show. And I know that they're out there because we talk to them on Discord. We, you know, we try meet them out, you know, in the world and, and sure. uh, they exist. Uh, and we're very grateful for them. And they're awesome people. And, and you can tell that they've been made much more popular. Their skin looks great. All sorts of great things happen to them when they listen to the Overthinking It podcast. <laughs> but maybe it's – I don't know whether it's people with great skin listen to our podcast or our podcast gives you great skin. Uh, I'm going to bet great, on the second one. Yeah, that's – yeah. no, this is definitely <laughs> a, a case where it's causation and not merely correlation. Yes. Right? It's it's not just that the best-looking people are, uh, are you know, uh, interested in the Overthinking It podcast. It's that the Overthinking It podcast makes you better looking. Yes. Like the great logicians always say, post hoc ergo propter hoc, QED. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, but no, yeah, I, I'm the same way, Pete. I actually don't like, I don't imagine the audience, uh, yeah. while we're, while we're doing this. Like, I, it's, you know, difficult to imagine the, like, the, you know, literally dozens, dozens, I tell you, uh, of people out there who, who listen to us. It would probably be, be paralyzing, right? Like, it would probably be really anxiety provoking, mm. uh, to do that. Like, and I have a, I have enough of that with my, my, general you know uh attention issues and and um stammering and like anxiety about communication all sorts you know i i have enough of that without inviting more people it's like inviting more people into the bedroom you know like it's a, i don't i don't need i want you to listen to my podcast but i don't want to know about it yeah, I, don't, I, I don't need a panel of judges you know Put like this at mask the, on yeah exactly at the, you know and hey yeah, and the 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 times when people have like said something you know like biting or something have, have uh, you know definitely that, that's why uh, have definitely affected me and that's why I, oh. I sort of I sort of uh, I sort of leave it out right but like uh, yeah there is I mean I don't know but but there is you know I I think this is another reason Pete like our our uh, inability or unwillingness is probably a better way to put it to commit to an outline which accounts for the steady decline in popularity <laughs> of the podcast since its peak in in 2010 or 2011 when it was one of like eight podcasts available in the uh in the universe um to now when people when people are spoiled for choice because you know say what you will about guy branham but he had an outline <laughs> that, that, say what you will about pop rocket for maximum fun they stuck to an outline mm-hmm. um so yeah man like uh like uh there i am this morning in in my bedroom as it happens right like just uh just relaxing uh easy like sunday morning living the the privileged life of a childless couple with my wife and I'm, uh, I'm reading the, uh, reading the New York times, Ooh. you know? Yeah, I know. The, imagine the luxury time. You probably can't even imagine this amount of, of luxury time, uh, of idle time. So, you know, I'm thumbing, thumbing through the magazine, uh, reading the, I, I go for the ethicist, uh, first, uh, the guy who writes that now is really, is very good. They had a comedy writer for a long time, um, who, who I liked a lot, but the, the, uh, guy who's like a, a philosopher, I guess, uh, maybe a real ethicist, like is better. Um, for, you know, things and I've probably turning, they, they got the interview uh, section, uh, section now. They've like done some work on the front of the book and like, uh, they have a feature called the letter, the letter of recommendation where a writer, uh, contributes a brief essay 
about something that they recommend, you know, and it's they they range from the like the bizarre to the banal to the you know cultural to the to the practical, um, you know, letter of recommendation, hugging your dad, and it's you know a thousand words about why it's great to hug your dad, you know, uh, or a letter of recommendation, you know, I don't know, uh, fresh squeezed orange juice, and it's like a thousand word essay about how the you know doing the manual labor of of like juicing the orange makes you. Uh, uh, makes you appreciate it, right? Or, or letter, you know, so you get the idea. And um, so there I am, right? And uh, the, the article under the letter of recommendation today is, want a new you in the new year? Try committing to the bit. Uh, and okay, got it. So uh, this is going to be about like New Year's resolutions or something. This is going to be about changing your life. This is going to be about, um, you know, uh, uh, follow through, I guess. Try committing to the bit. Like if you if you uh, go to the gym, I guess you get a bit of exercise. And if you commit to the bit... <laughs> Then you are uh, uh, going to exercise more, more frequently, more faithfully than than you would otherwise. No. So uh, anyway, so I I, re- I perused this article. It turns out the headline has absolutely nothing to do with the uh, the content of the article. It is a letter of recommendation for what the author, uh, a writer named Jeremy Larson, who who works at Pitchfork uh, in his day job, um, what uh, what Jeremy Larson calls a bit um by which he means i guess like doing one, like a like a behavioral quirk right like something that you do over and over and over until it's until it's identifiable you know um like in uh, in college we, there was a guy in in my class Pete I think one one class above yours who was like wizard hat guy you know mm-hmm. he was always always wearing a wizard hat uh, and like, I, I think that that qualifies as a bit by the definition of Jeremy Larson in this particular, uh, in this particular column. It's a behavioral peg. It's something that, that someone can like hang their conception of you, um, on that, that you repeat to the point where this, this particular behavioral quirk becomes identified with you in, uh, in your, um, uh, becomes identified in you uh, with you in that person's social interaction with you. And uh, Jeremy D. Larson recommends doing this, recommends developing uh, and then committing to, you know, repeating some sort of behavioral quirk so that people can know, uh, can, people can sort of pick you out, right? Like uh, people can sort of figure, figure out which one, uh, which one you are. Uh, I believe, uh, I believe that in the game, this is referred to as peacocking. The uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I just got in a completely different discourse, and that is not uh, that is not my goal. I want to uh, no, but like uh, and says like that this will help in social and professional situations. I, help with what I'm not entirely sure. It will help kind of smooth out the rough edges of of social interaction. Now, um, th- this article is wrong and bad, right? But. Uh, <laughs> 
but uh, you know, and I, I texted it to Pete and I was like, Pete, I think we have a topic for tonight's, uh, tonight's podcast. And I'd like to, to go through it in some, in some detail. But other than the, the, the brief summary, Pete, that, that I've given of the, the, like the, uh, broad outline of the piece. How did this, uh, how did this piece of writing, how did this letter of recommendation, this thousand word essay land with you, uh, when I texted it to you this morning? It, it was, it struck me. I, I believe. I'm wow sorry. I meant, the to, first word. I, I meant to throw it near to you, not not right at you. I'm sorry that it's. I bounced you. off my fingertips to uh, fingertips and smacked me right in the face. Uh, so it was not your fault. It was the catch, not the throw. Uh, and it's it's not like I want to bash this guy because I can't really imagine he goes back and looks at this and thinks this is the best thing that he ever wrote. You know, it's a thousand words. It's almost exactly a thousand words for the New York Times magazine, um, and I'm sure that. He would say a bunch of things to clarify his position on it or to change his position on it if you kind of were to ask him. So it's not like sometimes I'll read something in New York Times or another, you know, uh, piece of prestigious media and think, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. And the person who wrote it should feel bad and the newspaper should feel bad about publishing it. I didn't feel bad about that. I did feel kind of like distressed. The article made me feel distressed because it spoke to like a really gaping absence, uh-huh. just a really yawning need for things that exist already, but seem to be out of reach. And I suspect not just to this guy. And it also, I mean, there, past the initial feeling also of, oh, well, these terms are not being defined correctly or being understood correctly. The overarching idea was that he's identified some real problems and he has this solution that he applies to it. And or suggests that you apply to it and both the way in which the solution is formulated and the way in which the solution interacts with the problem are harrowing and kind of speak to kind of human issues that I thought are interesting and worth talking about. So I, th- I think it's a very rich, a very rich article to at only, of course, a thousand and fifteen words. I thought it was more than that. But then I deleted subscribe to The New York Times magazine <laughs> from my word count copy paste. And it was almost exactly on the dot. Um, but yeah, I, that's I guess that's part of what struck me. Right. So because I did improv for a long time and I directed improv and I was around improv theaters a lot, you know, the bit is something that is always on the table in social situations. But the bit is defined a little bit differently in those circumstances, or at least in my experience, than it is in this one. Do you have a definition of – I mean, so our readers aren't particularly – our listeners aren't particularly invested in the definition of the bit that is in this article. No, So maybe we should flesh it out a little bit more so that we kind of understand what's being proposed so this is in in the article yeah it's where i think it's worth first laying out the one that's in the article so that we can contrast against it yeah yeah the um uh the the article begins anecdotally uh with the story about the the all the crazy like wellness drinks all the crazy like workout drinks or like whatever uh a cold brew with added collagen and something called brain octane oil. Uh, right. And so apparently this writer started a practice of, of finding a particularly outlandish, uh, you know, drink with health claims on it, uh, beverage in the bodega or whatever, um, photographing its, its outlandish health claims and sending a photograph of the bottle to, uh, to his friends on a group text. Um, to which his friend replied, uh, when did the theme of this text group become this? LMAO. 
I think that I think that that LMAO is is uh, highly ironic. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think uh, to the annoyance of his friends, but then apparently like so this guy made a practice of texting his his friends pictures of like uh i don't know weird weird fitness drinks or weird wellness beverages right mm-hmm. um and and he says this is a bit so so uh new paragraph this is a bit new paragraph <laughs> is it though <laughs> uh, well right no it is it is not uh but then it goes on a bit is a sort of lie that becomes a kind of truth that is that is a great example of how you can use rhetoric <laughs> to yes. make a falsehood sound true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a bit is a sort of lie yes. that becomes a kind of truth. Uh, it's not an inside joke. It's not a running gag. A bit is durational performance, experimental theater. It is a joke told so many times that eventually what you're laughing at isn't the actual joke. It's not the joke that's funny, but the fact that it's still going, perhaps never ending. Um, so that's a, yeah, that's, that's the, the article's definition of a bit. Now, as, as a person, as a, as a uh, professional improv comedian, Pete, um, is this how you would, how you in your rarefied circles would refer to uh, what you would refer to as a bit? You are gaslighting nonstop, Matt. Uh, no, <laughs> this is not what I would. I'm sorry, <laughs> Pete. As a, as a professional amateur improv comedian, <laughs> I wouldn't. I, when I say the bit, when I would talk about bits, 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 what those would generally refer to are conversational jokes uh, or games, conversational games. Which might involve lying and might involve a similar – because, okay, one thing I just want to unpack, tie off, and leave on the side here is he claims that the interest in energy drinks that he's showing is a lie. And I don't think that he that that is necessarily the case, either for him or in general, for this sort of thing. It does not have to be a lie, and it might not be a lie if you are that interested – in the uh, in in the uh, the contents and health claims of energy drinks, such that you find it worth sharing with other people, you might be telling yourself that you're lying. He says that it's sort of a lie that becomes your personality. I would more think there's probably something about this that you find interesting, whether it's funny that the claims are made in the first place, or you know, uh, it's something of a fond memory of your friends that's being driven by. But regardless. When I think of a bit, I think of a conversation among people, and that's maybe the thing that's most missing from this piece, because even in his example, he's not the only person sending the energy drinks to the troop chat, right? Mm, I don't that, know. That, it seems yeah. like that this is his thing, though, right? Yeah. Like, So he's, a, he's describing a situation where it's, this is my thing. Every time you talk to me, I'm going to make <laughs> comments of the same sort, about the same topic, in the same sort of general way. You know, you're going to cut, you're going to see me around, you know, you'll run up to me. Oh, hey, how are you doing, Pete? I haven't seen you in a long time. And I'll be like, well, I'm doing great because, uh, you know, I'm wearing shoes with a zero drop, you know, like zero drop shoes. Those are great shoes. It's like, yeah, "Ah, great shoes. Zero drop. Somebody sees me in the mall. Zero drop. Somebody sees me online. Hey, what's up? Zero drop. Like that's and he's saying that's a bit. Um, and, And and not a running gag. What I would think a bit is, is. And then my wife, my wife looks at me and she says, we have to. You have to talk to me. Our, our dog is dead. It's zero been, drop. Been, been hit by zero a car. Drop. Nothing drops here until I say it does. I, I am until I am. I, I am racked with grief, Pete. You have to tell me. You have to be there for me. I need you right now, and I need you. And what do you have to say for yourself? Right. 
is uh, so okay. So, so I that, have zero drop shoes. That's what <laughs> yeah, I have. Zero drop shoes. You know, well, this would have knocked me off my feet if I were wearing regular running shoes. Instead, <laughs> I had extra stability to handle the tumult of my relationships. Well, and so here we're doing something that he describes in the article and also says is sort of like a bit because he talks about an episode of Mr. Show where this happens. But we, in having this conversation, are engaging in a game, which is not the same necessarily as a bit. Where, okay, when I think about a bit, I think of a conversation where people are making a sort of jokey comment and one-upping each other on it in some way uh, in a group of people. And the idea being that you're kind of testing out your own wit and cleverness by engaging in this bit with people. You know, uh, and Elva would be a good example. You know, you walk into the room and it's like, uh, how are you doing? You'd be like, "Uh, you know, uh, barely alive and somebody's like oh yeah you know i, I died yesterday oh i died today no that's, that's a terrible example it's hard to come up with examples of these things in the in the fly which is probably why the article is kind of like meh but um but of course i had literally days to prepare for this or a day to prepare for this so i could have written an outline and reviewed it but that's not how we work um but yeah like a bit would be uh um Oh, you know, what did you do yesterday? Oh, I went to have brunch. Oh, did you have did you have a mimosa? Hey, I had mimosas. Did you have a mimosa? I had a mimosa. I had a fr- I had a French toast with whipped cream. Let me tell you, with chocolate chips. Oh my goodness, what did you have? Did you have brunch? Right? And and it's almost like at some point it becomes hostile, right? Like at some point the the everybody in the bit recognizes that you're all doing a bit, and and it almost is like a game of chicken of who can stop first or not. And, and then there's several things that become apparent when this sort of phenomenon is happening. One of them is like, I, you know, we're all trapped, right. Which you may not be aware of at the time because you know, you might not have self-awareness. We're all trapped. We're all trapped in the bit. Yeah. We're all trapped in the bit. We got to start in the conversation in the bit. The other one is like, we're not having a different kind of conversation. What is it that we're not talking about? Because we're talking about this. Mm. Um, the people around us might find it insufferable because they can't jump in or it's already yeah, because they can't jump in. That's what they really want because it's like annoying. And, and the norms that are being negotiated for why things are funny might not be things that feel particularly welcoming to other people. You know, the sort of value that's being put out there for like why people might talk to each other. There's the idea of being always on. That's part of it. Yeah. Um, that, sure, that like always, re- always ready to, to like hop on with, with hop a joke. On if you've ever, gone, yeah, joke. If yeah, you've ever yeah. gone with improv comedians to a Mexican restaurant or actually any restaurant yeah. where they like melt cheese or like keep a plate warm under the salamander while the rest of the order is getting ready. Right. And they, they carry it out with potholders and they tell you like hot plates. They warn you hot plates. Right. Like the entire table of improv comedians is going to start being like hot plates, hot, hot plates. plates. And yes. then like everything they touch, like their water glass is going to be hot all of a sudden, like the fork, the napkin, the hot table, plates, hot everything, plates. hot plates, hot yeah. plates. And like yeah. this is going to go on. Right. Uh, for a long, really longer, longer than it, longer than it should. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so this, Pete, what you're describing to me, this is my understanding of a bit, uh, as well. It's yeah. a, cause it, a, a couple things are true. Whoa, whoa, one, whoa, hot plates, hot plates. <laughs> hot plate. Uh, when it happens in a context, right? Yes. Like, uh, in the context of a group of, of people, um, two, it's, it's kind of cooperative. Yeah. You know, that there's a, there's an aspect of kind of group, group play to it and group dynamic, um, to it where you like, where we agree that with like very little coordination, we're going to try to like, uh, try to kind of make this thing a thing. Um, yeah. And then, and then it involves, uh, 
it involves a performative commitment to uh, to a reality at variance with actual reality. Right? Yes. To, yes. And that that's like yes. to me that's the kind of that's the sort of important thing is that it's not like hey I wear a pirate hat at work so I'm pirate hat guy. It's that like we're all not, I'm going to do something blatantly artificial. I know it's artificial. You everyone knows it's artificial and. Uh, you know, in doing this, participate in some sort of like cooperative, uh, uh, cooperative one-upsmanship, right? Where the whole thing is, uh, where where the whole thing is aimed at, you know, and then what? Like we don't know what it's aimed at. Generally, that generally it sort of uh, deflates. The the SNL skit about hot plates, like had a had a plate come out that was like, you know, as hot as a hydrogen bomb or something like that. And that's you know, eh, I guess. That's an okay heightening move. It's not like um, it's just a long Oppenheimer shot associated yeah. with it. Yeah, That's to the joke. No, it was more. It was more hot, like her. Actually, I guess the joke was more like Horatio Sands explaining it. Like the plate you're about to get is so hot. Is this an actual sketch, or are you just making up that this is? A, I'm lost in the bit right now. Is this <laughs> no, no, a no, real there, thing? There, there was. It's okay. it's a good example for uh, it's a good example for like what a bit is, uh, especially yeah, yeah, if yeah. you hang out with improv comedians. Also, yeah. SNL did a sketch that was about hot plates in a uh, hot plates in a restaurant. Um, okay, okay, got it. Uh, so, so you know. But it it is also the sort of thing that a, a group of comedians would would sort of do together. Gotcha, gotcha, uh, gotcha. I, almost like better, almost made better if it's slightly hacky or corny. You oh know, yeah, like um, because that that helps with the artificial artificiality of it, right? So this is what I mean. This is what I would call a. This is what I would call a bit, and mm-hmm. like. Yeah, it's tedious and exhausting, but it does bond a group, right? It yeah. really does. And it's fun know. and funny. We laugh like a whole bunch of times because of the hot plates. Yes. <laughs> See, it still works. <laughs> <laughs> well, then other I didn't things- even know it was a real show. I didn't even really know it was on television. I just know them plates was hot. Hot plates. <laughs> hot. yeah we're loopy um the whole so right what what he's talking about uh is like um he's talking about is uh is not a bit it's more like it's more like a a quirk you know Mm -hmm. i'd call it a quirk or a affectation uh, exactly perfect yes um yeah, and that's like, uh, uh, yeah. So then, this sort of, I, I think, gives an example from Mr. Show, from what he calls the offbeat '90s comedy, Mr. Show with Bob and David, which is a weird set of words to put in opposition to that particular title. Yeah. But uh, the whole, uh, and then completely misses the point of a sketch from Mr. Show. But then, uh, if this sounds confusing, so then goes on. Um, if this can sounds confusing, well, that's part of it. But the longer a bit goes on, the more familiar it becomes, the more inextricable it becomes from the person doing it. This calls to question a lie, a uh, lot of truth ratio at the center of the performance. Did my two friends just think I was trying to make them laugh with preposterous wellness drinks? Or did I send them so many pictures of wellness drinks they had no choice but to conclude I must have enjoyed them on some level? In effect, this bit created a persona, a version uh, of myself about whom all you really need to know is my fascination with wellness drinks. And then in one of the great turns of modern journalism. <laughs> I did love this part. Oh, my goodness. 
The the article goes on. In 1993, Robin Dunbar, a British behavioral psychologist. What? What? Wiki wiki. What? Remix. Uh, the whole. Uh, so like all of a sudden we're in Dunbar and Dunbar's number. Uh, 150 meaningful relationships at once. Uh, Jeremy goes on. This seems low. <laughs> Well, if you say so. <laughs> seems low. Lo, like, seems to who? Low. Low what? Like, you have more than a, 150 meaningful relationships? Like, I, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to count 15 really meaningful relationships. Yeah. You know? Well, it just speaks so much to what's kind of going on here, I think. Which is that, well, I think, okay, part of it is that if this were something that everybody got intuitively... What you know, then Dunbar wouldn't have had to publish his research, right? Like he wouldn't have had to measure it. Uh, and of course, he didn't measure it just with humans. They measured it with a bunch of different animals uh, as well. Yeah, over it's come, time. it comes from. He was like a primatologist, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, it's yeah. like you know, yeah. it's like this is chimps. This is the size of social networks yeah. in chimps or something like that, right? I, I consider this to be one of the most important uh, scientific findings of like the last thirty years in terms of understanding social. I guess it's thirty-one years now. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody! Happy New Year, Matt! Happy New Year. <laughs> Thank you. Hey. <laughs> Yay. Uh, How you doing, Pete? New New Year, new you? Yeah. (laughs) I guess what I would say, not necessarily in terms of, yeah, new year, new me, 100%. This is totally different. In terms, not necessarily in terms of being the most important finding, but rather in terms of a finding that uh, should prompt you to reevaluate conclusions that were drawn about human society from before the finding. I think it's a pretty big deal, right? Like, because there are a lot of I think there are a lot of conclusions that people arrive at about human society that don't really function if Dunbar's number is a real thing. Uh, but, of course, they had no reason to believe Dunbar's number was a real thing because they weren't primatologists that were measuring everybody's friendships. Right. And so when he says that seems low, it's like, yes, people didn't know this was a thing. But now they do because they've measured it. And and the reason that it seems low, perhaps, is because you have lost track of the number of people you have a casual relationship with that you rarely, if ever, talk to and, like, don't actively maintain the relationship. But you can remember it. That's another thing is that he talks about people he can remember mm. as if he has relationships with them. This is where this whole thing goes into a really poetical space before it ends abruptly after exactly 1,150 <laughs> words. But it's like uh, there's no more space on the page than that. Uh, but it's like, what about that woman I waited on tables with two decades ago? Uh, think, is she tracking think- my, you know, my personality? And it's like, well, that's not one of your Dunbar number people. Like, you didn't talk to her in twenty years, right? Like, uh, it's about cerebral well, yeah, so capacity. Like, this it's about is- the work your brain has to do to keep track of people. Yeah, this um, this, this was a weird example. He brings up yeah. like. He brings up a coworker from, you know, from like an early service job, like earlier, earlier in his life and was wondering, like, how close friends they they actually were, you know, like. Right. But but yeah. And it's like, well, that's not evidence against Dunbar's number because you're not maintaining an active relationship with this person because you're not having to process any information as it relates to them with your brain, which is like the limiting factor in Dunbar's number. So but anyway, yeah, but it's it's um. He does. I mean, this is a real issue, though, which is that you do have a, a, a brain capacity for how many people you can stay friends with or stay closely associated with. And I mean, some people are have kind of a bigger number or a smaller number, I guess. But it exists. Right. Like, totally. I mean, maybe maybe I shouldn't take it as an article of faith, but I tend to this tends to resonate once once you kind of 
look around. Uh, and if you add a whole bunch of new people, you're probably dropping other people, whether you want to or not, because you're just over your capacity. Like, it's like, oh, how have I not talked to this person in a long time? You know why? Because you have 30 new coworkers yeah. and they're taking up your mind space and you don't go back and check on everybody sure. uh, all the time. And, you know, oh, man, you know, why is why I have all these social media platforms to feel so out of control, even though these people are all supposedly my friends, because you can't actively stay friends with that many people all at the same time. It's just not your brain can't handle it. Right. Or you, um, or you kind of, you, you tell yourself the lie that like, because you're sort of monitoring, you're like tracking like bits of, of information, like, yeah. like I don't know, people's weddings and like birthday parties and whatever, like it with the pictures that they post that those are in fact, meaningful relationships. Those yeah. are sort of consequential relationships. It is, it is worth saying that Dunbar is not talking about meaningful relationships. Mm, good point. I think that's maybe a word that's being twisted a little bit here. Uh, Cause I don't think he would dis discriminate in the relationships that chimpanzees have it's like well this one they just they just banged right this one was meaningful <laughs> no it's it's this like how more many, a chimps a chimps with benefits situation yeah it's more yeah. about the relationships you can maintain yeah. you know the sort of engaged relationships that you can maintain right because you, you can have a meaningful right. relationship with somebody and then not see them for 20 years and then see them again and be like oh my god like this person means a lot to me but that's not that's not something that requires – part of the joy of it is that you haven't had to work on this relationship at all for 20 years and it's still there, right? And it's like, oh, man, this is so great. Um, you go back to reunion and you you really connect with somebody that you didn't even think of for a long time because you didn't realize that you had all these pleasant memories of this person. And then you see them and they all come back. And it's like, wow, this is a great person. I'm so glad I came to this reunion. You right. know, like I feel like I've had that experience and that's, that's – that is about somewhat the – work that you have to do to maintain relationships, uh, having right. limits. Yeah. But, you know, um, the reason he says it is because he's saying, oh, well, if you if you have a game, if you set up some sort of affectation where every time you talk, you talk about the same thing, uh, right? And then you don't have to have a meaningful relationship with someone. So it takes less mental work. And so you can do this just with everybody. <laughs> that way, that way you have no limit to the number of friends that you could have. This is called running for office, <laughs> is is, which is when you pick one thing well, yeah, no, to I was say about to, all the time. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah. I mean, I was about to say like one of the things I, I said like uh, a lot earlier, we, you know, believe it or not, had a podcast a lot earlier in the social media age as, as the kind of like the dominant, uh, I, I don't know, technology that sort of mediates relationships, right? That, that like, uh, I said, I said something on, on the podcast that I, I think was really true, which was that kind of one of the unintended effects of, of social media, I said presciently was, um, that it was going to force everyone to start to behave like the communications department of a corporation. Uh, mm -hmm. all the time. And I, I think that, that I, you know, a decade has proven me right, or a, a decade and a half has sort of proven me right with the advent of the idea of a personal brand, right? Mm -hmm. And what this guy is, is, uh, say it with this guy. I'm sorry. Is, I, you're right. I, I don't mean to be derisive. What uh, what Mr. Larson is saying in his his article, I think, is more to do like of having a personal brand, right? Like having a a, a brand identity. The, the article sort of the essay continues. Uh, Consider that if you shrink your personality down to just one thing, people may have a much easier time connecting with you. A bit becomes a quick bonding agent that allows an acquaintance to take an interest in creating a meaningful relationship with you later on, deeper, right. 
beyond uh, the veil of the bit. It says something about who you are or who you aren't and forces you to become a study of something weird, funny, slightly apart from yourself. So in other words, like act inauthentic and maybe that will lead people to want to get to know you authentically yeah. later on. That does not... I. I would not be optimistic about that strategy having a great deal of success. You know? Not at that level of reality. So I do stuff like this, like this. Oh, by the way, the other thing about Dunbar's number that's important to remember is it's not just that you have relationships with these people. It's that you remember how these people relate to each other, which mm. is really important right. uh, in terms of what Dunbar's number is really about, which is like that you know – who all these, whether these people know each other or not, uh, whether they relate to each other or not. If you just know a whole bunch of people right. and you have no idea what they're doing with each other, you're not really in like a group with them. Yeah, that's not um, a Dunbar's. That the, yeah, one of the requ- yeah. one of the requirements is that you could lay out a Thanksgiving dinner table with the people uh, in the thing and avoid yeah. all of the family feuds. Right? Yeah, that, yeah exactly. Yeah. Which is and it's kind of funny that a lot of weddings. I don't know if you. I mean, you you've planned. You did a wedding. I mean, how many people were at your wedding? Uh, Fifty people. 50 people. Yeah. So anyway, we were like, you know, we were over a hundred. Yeah. Um, I mean, we really wanted to have a, a we have big families. We want to invite a bunch of people, but like, as you approach, <laughs> we, we have big number, families and didn't want to invite any. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, also, you know, you're on the bleeding edge, man. It, it was it's tough to fly out there. Uh, I still, I still regret missing it very much. So, um, well, you had the, you had the, uh, you had the poor taste to uh, have a child. Yeah, uh, I think, I think minutes before, <laughs> minutes before my wedding ceremony, while you were right? walking down the aisle. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point being that, like, if you've planned a large party, as things start getting towards this, you know, at least this order of magnitude. Yeah. Right. It's a, you do sense the dis, the difficulty of keeping track of everybody. No, 100 percent. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there, there is a there's a a wedding's a particular thing because you're bringing people from like different yeah. things together. And so the so it's much lower for most. Yeah, yeah. We actually did one long banquet table, and so mm. it wasn't like we had a bunch of like round tables with eight people where we could just like you know snip off each group, each social group, and like put them at at one table. We had to like consider how the like how the edges would meld. Uh, between mm. each other and that so it was it was actually a, a like prospective uh, uh, social relation kind of kind of exercise but yeah no Pete it's, it, it is uh, one, one of the regret well, in fact there there are almost no regrets for my wedding but that that you weren't able to to make it also uh, the other one was the hot plates hot, hot plates. plates hot plates coming out <laughs> coming out of the caterers hot plates hot fajitas <laughs> all, uh, all so. my all my guests were all my guests were burned were so severely burned at the, <laughs> it was it was actually kind of a tragedy you, you know yeah. that they had to divert us to different emergency rooms because so, of, you know so i'll give you a real example of something like this that i do because uh, i feel like i do something like this to solve this very problem which is that you especially in a professional setting or a work you know a work setting networking stuff like that you have to have relationships with lots and lots of people uh, if you work in any sort of either a matrix organization or you have a lot of clients or you have, you know, a lot of contractors, whatever, or, or like just a lot of people that you work with on like a, in a warehouse or on a line or whatever, um, you know, you gotta, you need shorthands in order to take some of the mental load of managing the relationships, I think, or else they become like very, I, I find paralyzing. If you're always worried about what everybody feels all around you, you will drive yourself crazy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have 
shorthands that I use for certain relationships. And I don't think the people that I use these with would mind at all uh, because we definitely on occasion had more substantive conversations. But like, for example, um, you know, my son, uh, he runs in races for little children, you know, like in the park. Mm-hmm. They have races, you know, they have a, there's a national organization, uh, the Healthy Kid Races. They do races in parks all over the country for little hardened, kids. Hardened gambler is betting real money oh, yeah. on which of the children will come in oh, first. Yeah. Yeah, it's all it's all just Dickensian Fagans just like <laughs> trotting their orphans out for the for the pit, race pits as they go after each other. But it's like a fun little race. And I and I have a coworker who who has a, a relative who also does it. And so like any time that I'm on a conference call with this person, I will tend to bring this up. Uh, even if it's like out of season, right. Or like, even if there's like a bunch of other people, um, and, and this sort of fits the definition of what he's talking about. Uh And it also fits several of the criteria that we've been using, which is like, when I bring it up, I'm not, I'm using the edge of my voice to create a kind of gap in verisimilitude, right? There's like a sense of like, this is small talk. You know, like this is this is the talk we're having before the meeting. This is not um, it. But it's not a lie. You know, it's about true things. Right. You know, but but there's the sense of like, well, this is an unnatural way for people to talk to each other over these conference calls all the time about all these different things. This might be the third conference call you've had with the same person in the same day about a different topic with different other people also on it. So, you know, having shorthands like, you know, uh, still running those races. Right. Or like, sure. What, like, um, you know, uh, remembering, I mean, the one that people always use is sports, that that's what, this is basically somebody who never played sports trying to figure out how to talk about sports. Uh, it's like, man, what if there was something that everybody watched that didn't matter and that wasn't what they really did, but that they could all talk about because they all had information about it. And then when they did it, it would take off some of the mental load of having a real relationship because it's really hard to have a real relationship with very large numbers of people, especially people you you know you may or may not actually have any reason to see other than the occasion for seeing them right now. Uh, it's like, yeah, you could talk about the game. You could talk about the team, right? Sure. Um, we're, I mean, we're in New or, England. We talk about the weather, right? Or like, if you're if you're me, you do this in a slightly perverse way. I, you know, I'm not a sports guy, but I have a friend who's a big Denver Broncos fan here in LA, um, who was a coworker actually in a co-working space. So we didn't work together, right. but we we shared an office, uh, uh, you know, and became became friends, and was a big Denver Broncos fan. Was very very excited uh, when the Broncos got Russell Wilson. <laughs> On, yeah, yeah. On, <laughs> on the team. Oh, Matt, Matt, this, we got him right where we want him. This is the he's going to be a franchise player. Uh, country, let's ride. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't, you know. Uh, and you, if you follow, uh, you know, NFL football, you'll know that like it did not work out that way over the last couple of years for the for the Broncos. So now, uh, anytime right, Russell Wilson does something bad, I text him and say, "That's our franchise player, man. That's our. We got him right." We got him right where we want, yeah. want him, you know, 47 to three. We got him right where we want yeah. him, you know, we're coming back hard. Our franchise. Anyway, so, so you can do it in a, in a perverse way, but like, yeah, okay. This person's a Broncos fan or that person's kid, uh, run race, runs races, or this person has a pilot's license, right? Or this, yeah. this person was in the Peace Corps or something yep. like that, right? Yep. Like, yes, I, I think it's important that the the relationships professional relationships are instrumental i think that's i think yeah. that's an important thing right because that's like that's the context in which 
you do this, you know, where you're kind of in a job together and you're trying to like squirt some, you're not like actually trying to arrive at, you know, greater profundity or intimacy with these people. You're trying to squirt some oil on the gears, you know, to get them working so that you can turn to, to, what you're actually all there for, which is to, you know, I, I don't know, go over the new brochures, right? Like uh, to yeah. review the communications plan for the third quarter, right? That's, that's, uh, and that, that's the real point. This is incidental to that. And so this is like, this is just greasing the wheels. I think that is tempting, which is, I agree with you 100%. I will, I will add that it is tempting to see the corporateness of this as essential to it being dehumanizing. Mm. But I would rather point out, that there is a functional collaboration that is happening where you are trying to do something with people. And, and that, and, and as such, the degree of socialization that you've referred to previously is not appropriate for this occasion. Totally. Totally. Right. Right. And so, and you can, you can imagine situations that are not as, uh, you know, uh, makeable into and prestige Apple TV plus series, right? Like that are, that are like this, where you would still run into the same problem. There's this, I think there's this idea that when you have authentic relationships with people, they have more substance. And I think that it is worth considering that you have a limited capacity for having this kind of substantive relationship with someone and you don't have to have it with everyone. You, you can have an instrumental relationship where you just have to do something. And there are ways to behave that are appropriate or helpful or that make it a good interaction or bad or that make it that if you do have the occasion to have a pleasant conversation with this person, you might. Right. Like you might you have one day where like, well, here's a here's a good example. Um, when uh, when I, I used to live near a big park, one of my apartments a long time ago, and uh, and it, this was a time when I worked from home a lot and I would go out to lunch sometimes to get lunch and there was a cart that would be parked outside of the big park. And it was a guy's truck, and this guy sold hot dogs out of the truck and sandwiches. And this guy was like 75 years old, maybe. He had been doing this for a long time. And people would come by and order their dogs or their sandwiches from this guy. And you got the sense that they did it a lot, right? right? Like, and mostly he served construction crews. That was mostly who came by would be construction workers. And I was, you know, this was before working from home was really in vogue uh, because of the presence of, uh, you know, uh, acute respiratory uh, diseases caused by coronaviruses and whatnot. Um, but, uh, but uh, so, you know, you would go in there and there was a choreography to it. And, uh, and I, I would feel myself kind of code switching a little bit into kind of talking or acting a little bit more like a construction worker. But the point that I'm making making here is like the relationships were earnestly affectionate, mm-hmm. but they had no depth. Sure. You know, like and like you could say that they had depth because you could say like, well, they are they had so much in common and things kind of there's a kind of a history. And it's like, well, sure. But, you know, we are we are we are adding that in the interpretation in the moment. The relationship is functional. And that the, the, the bottom line is that you have a functional relationship, an instrumental relationship with someone. It's very transactional. You don't have to be mean or rude. You don't have to share a great amount of information. Mm-hmm. You can relate to this person with a couple of sentences and you can still communicate fondness and respect and decency, you know, like and, and you don't have to TMI all over the place, which I, I really wish that I had this insight about human relationships back when I was single. 
because I was so bad at this. I was so, Matt, I have no idea how can I, I'm so embarrassed retroactively for being so bad at entering into a new uh, conversation with a person I haven't talked to before with like an appropriate level of intimacy uh-huh. or like an appropriate level of detail. This guy is basically saying, you say something false. Right. Right. Like a way to avoid being pulled into a relationship that's too deep for what it can handle. That's too much work for your brain. That makes it hard to maintain, hard to advance. One way to do it is just to not say anything true. And it's like, or you could have some boundaries and some continents, and you could say a little that's true, but you could control yourself, right? Like, which is, right. which is, you know, it's sort of like always tell the truth because you'll always remember it, and it's like, well, always lie because then you won't accidentally say anything that means anything, right? Like, uh, which is an interesting, an interesting. It's not a contrapositive. I guess it's the converse. <laughs> so it's not necessarily logically the case. But, yeah, um, I, I, but it's not. I mean, I feel like young young men in in particular, like I, you know, I, I've exactly the same story. But like, I feel oh, yeah, like yeah. that's something that that you know, sensitive, artsy younger men like go go through until until you're 25 and your prefrontal cortex is yeah. finished <laughs> finished developing, right? Like, you do not have the right, you do not have the right like restraints. Like the brakes are not functioning on the runaway train. You know, yeah, you're like you're all gas, no brakes in terms of your your uh your conversational style and like um yeah and it creates a lot of really intense sometimes uncomfortable uh experiences and that's that's not it but like yeah no i i was actually i was actually about to say i i don't like denigrate this sort of interaction because it's quote-unquote corporate whatever that means right like what it it is undertaken in the context of of people working in a in a big corporation is that is that what makes it corporate i'm not sure that's like i'm not sure even if someone were to say that's a corporate man i'm not sure even that criticism would be accurate fully accurate um but that like uh but i I was about to say like it's like when you're a teenager you know and you're like no man every interaction we want to go as deep you know go deep as possible all the time right it's like yeah, that's not a great idea all the time, right? Like, just from the point of view of your own energy. Like, I, it seems great when you have the energy of a 22-year-old, you know, but, like, <laughs> it's not not Maybe something that can it. really can, can continue. And, like, not everything is everything, right? Not not everything can be everything. And that's, like, I don't know. I feel like that is a, that's a, that's a lesson that time teaches you. Um but uh, but uh, what Mr. Larson is is saying is that everything should be nothing, and that that would be a superior uh, that would be a superior thing. But like, I'm not like um, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not against small talk, right? Like, uh, I I in fact, Pete, I I think we should write a listicle on the internet that's called uh, big reasons to like small talk or uh, <laughs> you know any anything with the floating opposites big x about small talk big ideas about small talk um you know that it does that it it uh small talk was um like i i yeah that it, it is uh i don't know it's a lot it's a lot gentler than than what Mr. Larson is is advocating uh, as a bit. Um, it's a lot more undirected. It requires flexibility and attention. It requires like that you hear, um, but like there's there's nothing, almost nothing better, right? Than like uh, for me, maybe just with with my own weirdness, but like nothing better than like going to buy coffee, you know. And, uh, and just trying to have a pleasant 
you know, 45 second conversation while you're being rung up, you know? Yeah. It helps if you actually express a sincere interest in, in, uh, in someone else and listen to, listen to what they say. Not always possible, but like, um, you know, I, I think that those, I think that those. So that's your bit is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Sincerity is my, is my bit. And then, and then everyone is like, there's, there's that sincere guy. Why is he wearing a wizard? (laughs) Why is he wearing a wizard hat <laughs> you know and they say hot plates and then uh you know and then spill coffee all over all over myself but the um not like you, you just have a have a it it like it does a, a number of things like if you do it sincerely you don't have to commit all that much energy to it like i wouldn't stake your day on it going well or not but like uh it it takes you out of yourself a little bit to just like try to like listen to someone and like hear how someone else is going you know i feel like people who are treated instrumentally a lot sometimes uh like appreciate the opportunity to to say something you know <laughs> like how are you doing today like you okay uh that like uh that stuff and i i also think like i don't know i live in a in a, a walkable neighborhood like we don't have a, a second car my wife drives to work and i i bicycle around the neighborhood and like it it cements me, it, it like cements me in the web of a place, you know, that like, it just, it, it is, they are the, the sort of thin gossamer strands of support, um, that hold up, uh, that hold up a community, not people who would count for Dunbar's number, you know, but like, uh, just the, the, I don't know, the, the, the person with the the person with the boxer that I see walking every every day, or her husband, you know, like one one or the other of those, just just uh, talking about the dog, or the the person who sells me a coffee in the morning, or the the uh, the I don't know the the wine shop that does like tastings with a pop up pizza and out the back, like all all these little things that like uh, uh, that that just. I don't know that 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 just kind of support the like give give life a, a little bit of like gentleness and texture. Um, I think are are important and and, and would be impoverished, uh, like to to the point of being stupid or useless. Uh, if they were all bits, you know, like if they were all like at the level of uh, if they were all at the level of like here is a recognizable brand identity that I can give you so that you remember me in the crowded, you know, Dunbar's number, 150 people. That seems low. You have thousands of people screaming for your attention day in, day in and day out. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put a, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like uh, put on the wizard hat, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, that way you'll know, right. Which screaming guy who wants your attention. I am, I don't know. It would, it would really, it would really, take the texture out of a lot of the uh you know out of a lot of the the interactions uh that are are governed not by by what mr larson calls a bit but rather what you or i might call small talk right yeah for sure for sure um i've been trying to teach it to my kids uh just as an experiment <laughs> i've been i've been having little tea parties in the kitchen uh where i bring out some stuffed animals and i have my my little toddler son and my and my one year old, and uh, and I try to just have like very very simple conversations, sure. like oh like how was the weather today, and the number that are just like then Optimus Prime turns into a T Rex, right? Like it's just like and it just flies off the handle immediately. It's is both endearing and daunting, and it really is like oh this is 
this is an uphill battle <laughs> to get to a point where you can just have a conversation about the weather with someone and have it mean what you intend for it to mean, sure. uh, you know, which is like a sort of offering and receiving of a gradual development of trust prior to like diving into the whole Optimus Prime turning into a T-Rex thing, which he yeah. wouldn't do anyway because he's not Grimlock. You know, we're not even <laughs> talking about Optimus Primal here. We don't even talk about Beast Wars. It's, it's, all, it's all over the place. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I do not understand those references. <laughs> um, I would also say that when he says, try putting on a persona, it is interesting to think of a persona. So like a, a particular topic of conversation with a certain self-awareness that you might use as a shorthand because you have a relationship with someone that doesn't have a ton of complexity to it. Uh, thinking of that, even if the thing that you're talking about isn't on its face a lie, such as like, man, I really love the secret ingredients in energy drinks, even if it's something true, you could conceive of it as a persona, and then conceiving of it as being different from who you really are raises some rather interesting existential questions, right? Like about, well, who are you, who are you really? Which one of these is the real me? You know, and... and uh, is it is it the guy who always talks about you know fixing your DVD player? Um, uh, I mean, no, not anymore. That was the real me back then, <laughs> um, but but that time has passed. But you I, you know what I mean? Where where if you do have a variety of different relationships with people, where you have different personas that are related to stock topics of conversation or code switches that you go through when you talk to them, right? I think that there could be a response to that where you feel like, oh, this is dishonest. I don't feel that way about it. That's just my perspective, maybe. Um, I don't feel like it's dishonest to have uh, a man, you know, a sort of a face that is related to uh, kind of a relevant sort of interaction, um, especially if there's a correspondence to something true in the interaction, like people contain multitudes, right? Like there's sure. a lot of different, there's a lot of different social experiences that go into being a human being. Yeah, and not, the idea that not, you have to not have everything, not everything is everything, you know, yeah. like that, not, you don't, you don't need to bring the sum total of your personality to every single, yeah. to every single interaction that you have. Yeah. Yeah. And also like the fact that I'm different here on the podcast with you that I am with my family doesn't mean that either of them are a lie or that I'm suffering from some sort of mental illness. Right. Like, I mean, I am, but that's not it. <laughs> like, uh, but uh, it's 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 just part. It's just the idea of an internally persistent way that you always are as being the truth about who you are. Um, I don't think that bears out in uh in experience, I think that people can have socially constructed ways of interacting with other people that are contingent upon their relationships because mm -hmm. we have brains that can handle that sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. Or maybe that's just part of the bit. Hot plates. Hot plates. Hot, hot, hot plates. Plate. Force right, it. Well, uh, Keep forcing the bit till it's not funny anymore. Hot plates. And go and go go right beyond. I definitely I relate to what you were saying earlier yeah. about like being in one of those situations and it being like exhausting because like no one knows when it's going to sort of end and like finding a permission structure to be like okay we're we're done with this now like we're putting we're putting this one away. Um, we we actually we developed in college a, a really good. Uh, social technology for doing this where someone someone would drawn from improv where someone would like look at something that's gone gone by that and go like and scene right yes and uh that Common was actually cool. yeah really helpful 
really helpful to uh, to all of us. Uh, so let's uh, let's call scene on this this podcast. Thanks very much for listening, Pete. Thanks for uh, thanks for podcasting. Uh, we'll we'll we're committed to the bit, guys. We've been keeping it up for 15 years, and we'll keep it up for another week <laughs> at least. So check us out then. Uh, until then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably doesn't. doesn't. Dessert. Hot plates. Hot plates. Hot plates. Hey, have you um have you read that new Cormac McCarthy book? It was really sort of stirring and and really had this real sense of despair in it. It was called uh, Hot Plates. Hot Plates. <laughs> um yeah uh gosh it's the it's the anniversary of my grandma's death you know oh, and i'm so I, sorry i just uh i i remember we would go over to her house and she would cook for me she would make me she would make me cookies and hand them to me on a hot plate <laughs> oh plate. oh oh man yeah i had similar memories about so many people that have come and gone but when we would have chili it would be a hot bowl <laughs> hot bowl <laughs> Or a hot plate, depending on the texture.